So, just to say before I begin, if you can't, um, if you can't hear me, or um, something that I'm saying is not clear, please feel free to, to stop me and I'll raise the volume or say, say it again in a hopefully clearer way. So, please don't, um, don't hesitate, even if you kind of need to actually um, <laughs> kind of really make me notice, because if you're very gentle, I might not, so... So during this, um, this time in the evenings, we'll be sharing some, um, some reflections on the practice and on the teachings. Um, and the invitation is really to, to listen and to see how this meets you in your own experience. You know, this isn't kind of a, some kind of absolute truth that is, you know, coming directly from the heavens um, and must be accepted, <laughs> you, know, as, you know, as it is. But actually, it's something to really kind of listen to um, and, and inquire into, look into how does this how does this resonate with my experience? You know, how does this resonate with um, how I experience things or, or or feel about things? And and to really kind of make it a um, a creative a creative listening uh, for yourself as well. So we've been here, um, you know, we've been here together for, um, you know, 24 hours already. may seem much longer than that, or shorter. And we've been really kind of um, here together exploring our experience. And Nathan and I, we've offered um, some meditation instructions, some guidelines, some suggestions, um, and, you know, Things like mindfulness and the three steps, you know, the meditation object that we have the intention to pay attention to, bring the attention to, and then um, notice when the mind is distracted and we come back. Or the metta that Nathan offered this afternoon, or the exploration of the breath. I'm actually offering quite a lot. If you've done other retreats, you might be... um, struck by just how much we're, we're throwing at you. So we've been offering these things and, and, um, and I think we've all been really kind of um, giving it a go. You know, we've all been kind of really saying, okay, here's the practice and doing our best to, to really um, apply it, to really explore it. And this evening I'd like to, to look together at another um, aspect of what is happening here, what is happening in our experience as we're doing the practice, as we're doing the practice. So I'd like to just kind of explore, pull out, kind of shine the light on um, the underlying attitudes, yeah? The, the preconceptions, the tendencies, the attitudes, the approaches that uh, contribute to shaping our experience and to shaping our practice. Yeah, so things that we, they're kind of maybe in the, in the background or we're not aware of them, but they actually play um, a very, very um, key part in, in what unfolds. And I'd, I'd just like to take this time to kind of look at them a little bit. And maybe just to say that you know, I'll be focusing on what happens on our, in our meditation practice, but the same thing applies to us all of the time. Yeah. So actually everything that we're exploring here, um, you know, we're in very, very particular conditions, but what we see, what we uh, meet in our experience uh, applies actually all of the time, yeah, in different situations. So... I'd like to to kind of begin this um, reflection or exploration with actually inviting you to think back on your practice over the day. Yeah, so we're using the using the faculties of the mind, of the thinking and the memory. You think uh, think over over the day, over your practice um, or non-practice times also through the day. 
And was there anything that jumps out in kind of my attitude or my approach? And if that feels too kind of abstract to do, then you can also bring to mind uh, a moment of, of meditation practice or particular session when things um, felt like they were flowing, you know, things felt like they were going well, they were flowing, there was ease in the experience. And it may be just a moment when that was happening. And when you kind of bring that to mind and reflect on it, just checking if you can, if you can see, was there kind of an attitude or an approach, background, that was present? Like, for example, interest or kindness. Yeah, was there something like that? Does that make sense to people or does it seem up too abstract? Does that make sense? Yeah, okay, at least to some people. <laughs> yeah. And equally, we can um, reflect on maybe moments or sessions that were um, where, we, where we felt challenged, yeah, where things were difficult, where maybe felt like we were struggling. And we can kind of also now use the faculties of the mind, of the memory and the reflection. To think, ah, was there, was there a kind of underlying mind state or mood or attitude that was there, that was present? And just checking, there's kind of no right or wrong answers. This isn't a test. And you're not going to have to say anything. But just kind of feeling for yourself. So... I want to I want to give examples of what I'm talking about, and and this isn't there's no uh, this isn't a, a kind of um, finite list, you know. There's endless, um, you know, attitudes, approaches, moods that we can have. But examples of them can be, you know, a, a, some sense of rigidness or tightness. You know, I have to get this right. Yeah, I have to find the breath and be with it. You know, yeah, so that's one. And, and none of these are, you know, I'm going to put some examples out, and that's just so that we kind of get a sense, you know. And these are things we all experience. So none of these are like, should be um, used to kind of beat yourself up in any way. Yeah, so that's one. It can be this rigidness or tightness, or there can be a, a kind of underlying attitude of like laissez faire, you know, especially. Um, we were just talking about it earlier. <laughs> you know, sometimes if you've done a lot of retreats or some retreats, there can be this sense of, okay, so, you know, the first few days the mind's going to be busy and the body's going to be uncomfortable. and You know, but I'll just say, you know, after a few days it will all settle. <laughs> so it can be less safe, actually not engaging. Not engaging because there's that sense of, oh, you know, it doesn't really matter, it'll do it itself or things like that. So that can be another underlying attitude that we might have or there can be the measuring or the comparing mind you know constantly wants to know am I doing it well am I doing it good enough you know am I getting it am I messing up again you know that you know that can also just be there kind of behind the scenes but actually really affecting you know really affecting what what um what unfolds or there can be an attitude that I only mentioned, interest. Like, oh, what is this? You know, what is this? What happens now? Or an attitude of kindness that we've kind of been really encouraging. An attitude of kindness towards our experience. So it can be um, really um, supportive and nourishing to reflect on what what kind of... what. Underlying attitudes are there for us. Yeah, and there, may be, there, there probably are some that will be much more prominent, much more common for us. And to also reflect, again, not, with, not as a way of judging ourselves, but just as a way of, of understanding ourselves and our experience more deeply. What, um, what kind of attitudes or approaches have been um, fruitful, have been wholesome, have been helpful? supportive and which ones have been less 
Yeah. Yeah. Kind of what? What do they bring? Yeah. Or what do they kind of build within us? So yesterday we, we spoke, we used the language of um, going against the stream a few times. I don't know if you remember yesterday. <laughs> we were sitting here in the dark. And we were using this language of going against the stream. And these attitudes, these, appro- these approaches that I'm speaking about, these, these are also part of that stream. Yeah, The stream of the conditioning, the stream of the tendencies that we have, the stream of our inner life. And some of us have become more com- some of them have become more common or more prominent, you know, for various reasons, yeah, to do with our history. Yeah, so some of them are stronger or um, kind of arise more automatically for us than others. So what we're interested here, in, what we're interested in here, is less kind of the history and kind of the analysis that can be helpful to a degree also. But we're less interested in that. What we're more interested in is first of all um, becoming aware of of what is present. Yeah. So I know we've been telling you to bring the bring the attention bring the awareness to the meditation object whatever that is for you but we do that and we're still kind of also interested in the kind of um, atmosphere that that is happening in or the lighting it's actually an image i often use what kind of light you know there is internally what is it like is it very bright and harsh or is it soft is it so dull that kind of is dark? Is it warm? So we're, we're interested in recognizing these underlying currents. As different attitudes arise, as different approaches arise, yeah, or are present, you know, sometimes we can see something as it arises and sometimes we recognize it as it's already present, as it's already there. So we're interested to notice what is there and we're interested to see how that particular flavor, that particular light, how that affects experience. How that affects experience. And how does that affect my sense of well-being? How does that affect the unfolding of the practice? Are you with me so far? You're really welcome to say if not. Okay. So on this retreat, we're going to use a particular, I've been kind of like tripping over approaches and attitudes. I don't know if you've noticed that. We're going to use a different language for this, um, which, which some of you um, probably have heard from us before. Um, and the language we're going to use is ways of looking. Yeah. So the ways of looking at experience. And, and I'm, I'm going to go into this a lot more. So all these attitudes, approaches, moods, mind states, expectations, views, you know, all these things that affect experience, putting them all into this basket called ways of looking. So, you know, whether it's interest, it's kindness, it's rigidity, intention, it's the measuring and the comparing mind, you know, all of these are ways of looking at experience. And they impact what we experience. This is why they're so important. Yeah, they impact what we experience. And they impact um, how practice unfolds for us. So finally, examples. Drum roll. Ta-da. I don't think I've given an example yet. So we'll just stay with those five um, examples that I gave before of, of possible um, Attitudes to practice. And we'll see, you know, how they can, how they might each affect what happens in in our experience. So we're sitting here in the hall practicing. And um, there's a physical discomfort. Yeah. A pain in the knee. 
an itch on the face, you know, maybe we're too cold or too warm. I think that happened today. We actually got too hot in here. Yeah. There's some physical discomfort. Doesn't matter what it is, it doesn't have to be big. Yeah. If the underlying approach or attitude in the mind at that time is of rigidity and tension, yeah, there's rigidity and tension in the mind, tightening around the practice. I need to be with the breath. I need to be with the breath. Yeah. Pain arises and the mind naturally keeps getting drawn to that pain or that discomfort. Yeah. And so that attitude of rigidity will shape the experience and there'll be this panic. And now this is really getting in the way. Yeah. I need to tighten more around the breath. Yeah. I need to tighten more around the breath because this is getting in the way. And the mind keeps escaping. Keeps running away from me. Yeah. Does that sound familiar? Anyone had that experience ever? Yeah. So that basic attitude that might be there, yeah, meets, you know, we, we experience the discomfort through that. Yeah. And what does that lead to? Most of the time it will lead to more tightening and more rigidity, yeah, and actually less ability to be with the breath. Yeah. That's kind of how it shapes experience, actually shapes experience. If we use um, example of you know the measuring or the comparing mind is there, and we notice how ah, the mind keeps going to the discomfort, keeps going to the discomfort. I'm not doing this well enough. You know, I'm a crap meditator. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, at the first sitting this morning, I really had it, and now I've lost it. You know, and everyone else is doing so well. You know, they're all sitting like Buddhas. It's only me. So again, that, that we, we meet the experience through that mind state. And then off we go. <laughs> yeah. And that kind of affects experience. Less able to be with the object of our meditation or, or whatever is happening with our, in, in our experience. So both these... These approaches, yeah, the measuring mind or the rigidity, we can see that they lessen well-being and the calmness, yeah? Actually lessen the well-being and the calmness. So really important to say here, it's not that we're doing something wrong if they're present, yeah? It's like they're a human condition. <laughs> they arise in the mind. But it's not about um, obliterating them or getting rid of them. Yeah, we'll get to this a little bit more, but it's the recognition that they're present and the recognition of how they affect experience that can really, really make a difference. And I'll be, I'll be going more into that. So same experience, pain in the knee, too hot, too cold, itch on the face. The approach, the attitude, the mind state that's present is interest. Is interest. So we might actually see, ah, look, look at that movement. If I stay a little bit, feel that pull. As the mind keeps getting pulled from the breath or the metta or the body into that unpleasant experience. Yeah. So I'm actually interested in that pull. And I might be interested in, okay, how, how can I let go of that pull and come back? I'm interested. Do you, can you feel the difference? So we're actually including that in the practice. The practice isn't getting disturbed. <coughs> yeah? Because there's interest. Or if there's kindness as the kind of, um, you know, prioritized attitude, let's say, the attitude that I'm prioritizing is the kindness. I can check how can I, with gentleness, how can I let go and bring the awareness back, bring the attention back to the object of my, of my meditation. So 
you know, in this case we can see that maybe interest, kindness, um, they can actually increase both the momentum of the practice, a sense of ease and calm and a sense of well-being. Yeah, so it's quite different effects on the experience. And so there's a real invitation to start looking, you know, we, we can do this in reflection and we can do this in real time. Yeah, a little bit to start looking in, in the practice at, at what is going on around, yeah, within our being. And as I said, I'm going to go more into this, but to really emphasize, this is really, um, this is an area of deep insight and it's really key to, to the teachings, yeah, really, really key to, to the teachings to see, you know, we're here to understand the way our mind operates yeah, and what leads to suffering and what leads away from suffering. It's really what we're interested in. So how the mind operates and how that affects our experience. And I'd like to put this in the context, a little bit in the context of the, of the Four Noble Truths, which you know, a lot of you may have heard. You know, I'm not going to go into them in too much depth. But the, the basic core teaching of, of the Buddha, um, which is really that, and I'm, I'm going to use a lot of the Pali words, dukkha, which is um, translated as unsatisfactoriness. Well, it's translated many ways, but that's the translation I'm choosing for today unsatisfactoriness. That dukkha is part of the human condition. So dissatisfaction, unsatisfactoriness is part of the human condition. Because anything that is conditioned and changing, yeah, we spoke about the changeability, the impermanence of things yesterday. Anything that is conditioned and changing cannot give us lasting happiness. And yet, what we seek is lasting happiness. And we seek it in people, objects, experiences that are changing. So dukkha and the cause of dukkha. Yeah, the cause of dukkha is that expectation. Expecting to find lasting happiness in things that aren't changing. And they themselves cannot last. Yeah. So really important, you know, like sometimes... Um, the first noble truth is translated as life is suffering. <laughs> and that's not, that's not what the Buddha was talking about. It's not that life is suffering. It's that suffering exists in life because we look for happiness. We look for lasting happiness. Yeah, permanent happiness. We look for permanent happiness in that which is not permanent and conditioned. So we experience dukkha because we expect this lasting happiness from things that are conditioned and changing. And the third noble truth is is that there is freedom from dukkha. There is a possibility to be free from dukkha. And there is a path that we can practice in order to embody that freedom. There is a path that we can practice. So all of that, just, you know, just touching on it really lightly, but it's really, really core and really, really important. And we'll be coming back to this in different ways over the days together. So ways of looking... As I said earlier, I'm going back to the ways of looking. They include views, moods, mind states, expectations, habits, tendencies, etc. And one really helpful um, image for them, which uh, isn't mine, I've borrowed it from a friend, is that they're like um, different pairs of glasses that we, can, that we put on and take off. Yeah. And uh, this friend, um, she actually, um, when she teaches this, she comes with a pile of glasses <laughs> and puts them next to her. And she actually demonstrates like, putting on a pair of glasses. And we see things a certain way through that pair. You know, put that, a different pair on. We see things a different way. So 
glasses, lenses, filters. You know, that's how it operates. That's how the ways of looking um, operates. And there's two really important points about this way, ways of looking um, Getting stuck for new words. Approach. Ways of looking, ways of looking. Two really important things to remember. The first is um, what I've been saying now for quite a while is that ways of looking or these different glasses that we put on, they shape our experience. Yeah, they shape our experience. And I'm going to give an example from an article that I found um, a while ago. It's going to be a challenge for my eyes. So, in this article, they they give an example of... um, It's, by the way, it's from uh, Good Housekeeping magazine. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a, a Buddhist publication and not something I generally read but I won't bore you with the details of how I came upon it so so they're not talking about ways of looking here but they're actually giving some wonderful examples and they're giving an example of um, an experiment that um, was done about medication and placebo effect of medication and I'll just read it out here it is A classic experiment involved three groups of patients recovering from major chest surgery. All three were given given a saline infusion. So they were all given a placebo, essentially, an infusion that just had saline in it, no medication at all. But each group was told um, something different about what they were being given. The first group was told actually nothing about it. They were given a saline um, infusion and they were told we can't say anything about what it is. Okay, so they knew nothing about what it was. The next group was told that the infusion was either a placebo or a real painkiller, a conventional painkiller. And the final group were told that the infusion contained a very, very strong and potent painkiller. So actually there's kind of four groups here. One that's told nothing. One that's told you're receiving a placebo. One that's told you're receiving a kind of um, conventional level painkiller. And one that's told you, you're, being, you're receiving a very, very strong painkiller. No? No, but you said the second group were told... Yeah, either placebo. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. So all the groups were then offered additional pain relief. Yeah, so we're all told whatever you're receiving might not be enough. So if you want, if you feel, if you're still in a lot of pain, we can give you more pain relief. You just need to ask for it. Okay? Here's the interesting bit. Everyone who participated in the experiment asked for more pain relief. Yeah? So everyone felt pain, and they all asked for more pain relief. But people in the third group... So that's the group that was told they were being given a very, very powerful painkiller, asked for far less additional pain relief than people in the other groups. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) Yeah? And what does that say about our mind and our experience? Yeah? Really, really interesting. Yeah. Actually, we're all receiving a placebo. Yeah? No one was receiving pain relief through this infusion. And yet, the expectation yeah, of how much pain relief I was, I'm, I'm, I'm getting affected the experience of pain that I was feeling. Because yeah? obviously people are asking for um, additional painkillers according to how much pain they were experiencing. Yeah. In Dharma language, this is called fabrication. It has a name. It's called fabrication, and, and it's a really, really important concept. 
in understanding the mind. Fabrication, the way the mind shapes experience or is involved in shaping experience. And it's, it's a key concept. Um, and we can get it and not get it at the same time, yeah? Because it, um, it has many, many levels of subtlety. It goes very, very deep, yeah? In the understanding of how the mind works. But it starts from, from this, yeah? From this. So I think Nathan gave examples yesterday. He spoke about, um, or maybe it was this morning, he spoke about bodily fabrication. Yeah, I used that. Did you use that phrase? Yeah. You know, that, I, I remember yesterday he was speaking about, you know, we, we, we have this sense of a knee. You know, that the knee is something solid, separate, very, very defined. But when we actually bring our attention to it, where does the knee end? <laughs> Yeah, where is the knee-ness? Yeah, or the pain in the knee. Yeah, so all of this is also fabrication. I'll just give a few other examples, really simple ones. Um, I was on retreat um, in November, and I was doing yoga every day, and, and there was this, um, I don't know what you call it, that sponge bolster thing, you know, the long tube. Do you have a name for it? Yeah, it's like it's like a tube. That's a, it's like a tube about this long, this thick, spongy and round. And I would lie on it at the end of my yoga sessions. I would lie on it so that like, to really open up the chest and the back. So I would spend you know just I don't know a few a few minutes lying on it and really feeling you know the whole back opening and kind of extending like that. Then I would roll it out and I would lie on my back flat. Yeah really present, really aware of what it felt like. Now the experience, what it felt like, if I had to describe to you what my back was, what shape I was in, yeah, it would be that I was in this kind of shape, yeah, like a flowing down into the floor, yeah. So before that I was in this shape, yeah, because of the bolster. And then the mind, because of the transition, being in that body's in that shape, and the body is flat, but it feels like the body's doing the opposite. The back is doing the opposite. And that's the experience. And it's not, in that case, it's not, it's not happening in reality. Yeah? I'm, I'm lying flat. But that, if I had to describe, that's what I would say was going on. More examples. This is a really great one. It's one of my favorite ones. Some of you may have heard it because I like it so much. So, Apparently, and I'm sure you're all big um, football fans and you watch football quite regularly. Apparently, when we watch a football game, and this is European football, so it's American soccer. I don't know what you call it in India, which one? Anyway, the one where you kick the ball. So, or in Oz. So apparently, when we, when you, when we watch a players kick the ball, so we watch one player kick the ball to the other player, and we see the other player receive it, yeah, and then kick it again. That's not actually what we're seeing, yeah? Actually, the brain cannot capture all of that so quickly. Actually, not capable of doing that. So the brain is only catching glimpses and then connecting the dots. And so what we think we see is we actually think, you know, and, and try it out when, you know, after the retreat, you really will see the ball going from one football player to the other. That's what we perceive. But actually, that is not what's happening in the brain. Yeah, it just flashes. And it's fabricating. Yeah, fabricating that continuity. Filling in the gaps, connecting the dots. Yeah, so that's also fabrication, and, and we'll, be, we'll be going into fabrication a lot more. But all of these things are fabrication. And of course, just to say, um, we can get a sense that you know, fabrication is you know, bad or a problem. Or <laughs> it, it's what the mind does, and it, what, it, what 
part of what helps us function through life. So it's not a, a badding, you know. It's not in itself negative. It's a spectrum. Yeah. It's a spectrum. It's useful in navigating life. It gets tricky when we take things to be real. When we take things to be real, we, we do not take into account ways of looking and fabrication happening. And, and there's a, another little piece in this article which I think really um, kind of um, really emphasizes this in a, in a really good way. Um, I just need to find it. So when, when I give an example like I just did from this article, we might understand from it that oh, the pain is all in the mind. Yeah? The pain is all fabricated. It's not real. Yeah? Because we see that it's co-created by the mind yeah? or the, the level of pain. Yeah? So we might think, oh, it's, all, you know, it's just all we're imagining. It's not real. It's not real. So they did another experiment. And in this experiment, this one sounds really horrible, actually. They, um, they, they put people in front of um, something that, um, if, if you look at it, makes you really, really sick, really nauseous. Yeah? So they put people in and told them to, to look at this rotating thing. Which, which really creates um, nausea in the body. And some people who were sitting in front of this thing were given a pill, again a placebo pill, and they were told that taking this pill would make their nausea worse. Quite cruel, the people who did this experience. <laughs> Not that it would make it better, that it would make it worse. Yeah? And other people um, weren't given the pill. Yeah? And they compared the levels of nausea. Those who were given this pill and told that their nausea would, get, would, would be worse did report levels of nausea that were much higher than those that didn't. Yeah? They reported that. But the interesting thing is, is that when they measured things in the body, like... Um, um, some substances in the stomach that are connect- connected to nausea and things like that, they were higher in the body. Yeah? So it's not just happening in the mind. Yeah? Mind and body connection. The fabrication is not just in the mind. So the experience is real on that level. It's actually happening on the physical sense. <laughs> So ways of looking are important because they affect the process of fabrication. And fabrication affects, it is our, our experience, yeah? what we actually experience. Are you still with me? This is, can be a little bit tricky to follow. Yeah? Are you still with me, Nath? Good. Okay. So the ways of looking affect the fabrication. Fabrication affects... Um, affects experience. And we all know this in really, really simple ways. I'm going to give simple examples now, hopefully. You know, we know the experience of getting up in the morning and um, being in a bad mood, yeah, an aversive mood. And we walk out of the house and, um, you know, someone cycles past us really, really close, yeah, say, or it's raining, if we're in a bad mood, we will experience that in a certain way. If we're in a good mood, we'll experience exactly the same thing in a different way. Do you know this from your experience? Yeah. Be really simple things. Yeah, really, really simple things. But the way of looking at experience, the state of the mind, affects how we experience something. And sometimes the actual thing that we experience. So all of this was one important thing about ways of looking. 
The second really important thing about ways of looking is going to be shorter, is that most of the time we are not aware that they are present. We forget that they are present. Yeah, going back to the practice. I'm, gonna, I'm just, I'm just with the object of meditation. I'm just with the ob- object of meditation, and I'm not aware of the atmosphere, of the lighting, of the mood, of the mind state, of the energy level. That's all affecting my practice. So if we go back to those noble truths and the dukkha, the unsatisfactoriness, and the cause of it, we can see that most of the dukkha that we experience comes through this process. Yeah? Not remembering that there's ways of looking that are present. And then reifying, making things real and solid that are not. That are not. So we ignore the way of looking that is present. And then we cling, we hold on to our ideas of, of how things should be. You know, for example, in our practice, I should be good at following the breath. That's what I need to be doing. <laughs> I should be following the breath. Yeah. Or doing my metaphrases or whatever it is. You know, I should be I should be good at this. I should be doing this. And we we tense around that. And we forget about fabrication. We forget about the, way, the ways of looking and the part that they play. Whenever we can remember, yeah, whenever we can remember, ah, there's a way of looking that's present and that's affecting my experience. What is it? How is it affecting our, my experience? Just there, just in that, there's space already. Yeah? Something can shift and change and open. Just in that questioning. And interest. But the mind, this is the really beautiful thing about this whole teaching, you know, fabrication, ways of looking, the mind is pliable and flexible. Yeah? It's a process. It's a process. When we remember ways of looking, we also can remember pliability and flexibility of the mind and the possibility to change. Yeah? To change the way of looking, that's present, just like those glasses. Yeah, we can just put it down. It might pop back onto our face. <laughs> really strong ones do that. Just jump back, but we can just put it down. Yeah, and we can also cultivate the capacity to put on, to adopt, to use ways of looking that are actually wholesome. And that's supportive and nourishing. So instead of feeling, you know, seeing that I'm in this, I should be good at following the breath, I should be doing this well. What if I shifted and, well, how about being interested in the experience right now? Yeah. How about bringing kindness to the experience right now? How about being creative? Now, what would that be? What would that mean? So I'm shifting the way of looking. Yeah, I'm freeing myself, actually, right there and then. And this can be um, sometimes really surprising and very, very powerful. And I just want to give a couple of examples. Um, from a, I, I was teaching a day retreat um, six days ago on Sunday in... Um, in, in the UK, and um, in a couple of the meditations, I, I just invited people to notice within their, you know, being with the breath or being with the body, to just open up the attention, to notice if there was anything that was pleasant in their experience, or even just okay, yeah, nothing dramatic. And after a couple of short sits, I, I asked people what they, what they saw, or what kind of came up for them. And there were a couple of really interesting ones. Um, one was um, someone who had, it was really cold, and um, someone who had been really feeling the cold. And she said that when she dropped in the question of what is pleasant right now, just dropped in the question, what is pleasant, what is okay, what's good enough as it is, suddenly she started feeling warmth. 
physical warmth in the body. The cold was gone. Nothing had changed externally. But just that dropping in that, what is, what is pleasant right now in experience? Somehow shifted that. No guarantees that it's going to happen in that way for you. Yeah, there's no. It's not a prescription. It's just interesting to see. And someone else who had been, um, he had asked a question earlier in the day about he was experiencing a lot of very intense physical restlessness. Yeah, very very strong need to move all the time. And when he dropped in this question of just what is pleasant, or what is okay, what is good enough as it is right now. Um, he felt an incredible steadiness in the body and calm. You know, and, and this was over a couple of sittings, so it wasn't just a moment, it was just kind of really, really interesting. Yeah, when we, we change the way of looking. Yeah, we change the way of looking from I need to be with this in a certain way or I need to do this a certain way to just shifting. You know, what is good enough right now? There's a way of looking that we can apply. So we can really, um, yeah, we can really play with the ways of looking and, and be creative and flexible. And as I said, cultivate ways of looking that really nourish a sense of well-being and really support understanding and wisdom. And we've been, you know, already utilizing a lot of this and... Um, pointing to them. I think Nathan spoke this morning about um, the two Ps. Did you call them the two Ps? You didn't call them the two Ps. So you probably don't remember what they were. <laughs> Playfulness and patience. The two Ps. Ps in a pod. Yeah? So, you know, the two Ps, playfulness and patience, they're, they're wholesome ways of looking that we cultivate and that we can bring in. You know, so we're feeling might be feeling quite down about how our meditation is going. But then what happens if we just say, ah, but actually, what if I look at this as a practice of cultivating patience? You know, how how does that change? You know, I'm not it's not about holding on to the breath. Yeah. It's about cultivation and understanding. I'm cultivating patience. What if I bring in playfulness and sensitivity? To really feel what is happening and that capacity that we have to feel and to engage, experiment, explore with that, you know, as, as we've been speaking about today. You know, to feel the breath. What happens when I make it longer? You know, what happens if I experiment with making it comfortable? All of that, that's all playfulness and creativity. Similarly with the body posture, yeah, and exploring the body posture. How does that affect the mind? Yeah, how does that affect the meditation? So with all of that, the playfulness, the sensitivity, and the patience and the steadiness. So there's two P's and two S's, yeah. Playfulness and patience, sensitivity and steadiness, yeah. They're all really, really supportive. Yeah, that steadiness of coming back, steadiness of coming back, of staying devoted and dedicated to the process of the practice, staying with the unfolding process, letting go of um, that feeling of, oh, it's, I need to do this, I need to get this right. And all of this held in this attitude of kindness and of welcoming and of metta. So I think we kind of started going into the metta practice today and to really emphasize how the metta, it's not just the formal practice. You know, you might not get on with the phrases and the formal practice at all, and that's fine. But metta is so important as an attitude that we bring in, that basic attitude of friendliness to experience, to ourselves, to each other, of kindness. So a real encouragement over the days to, you know, notice at least some of the time, what is the way of looking that's present? And how is it affecting experience? 
And what happens if I bring in a different way of looking? You know, what, if, what happens if I put these down and I take up something else? You know, and all of this, you know, it's not, it can sound um, easy. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not, you know, just like everything else. Yeah, sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. But as we do it, it becomes more and more accessible to us. Yeah. And we become much more able to put down that which isn't helpful, isn't wholesome, isn't skillful, isn't supportive. And to nourish and cultivate and utilize that which is. So let's have a, a moment of, um, of silence together to bring this to a close. So may our practice together continue to nourish the energy of freedom from suffering. May our practice together continue to nourish the energy of well-being and ease in all beings, including ourselves. So thank you for your listening. (coughs) Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.